Well, good morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to worship you, to grow hopefully closer to you, to learn from you. And this is only possible by your spirit. And we pray for your spirit now to use the words from the Apostle Paul to encourage, to challenge, to convict, and to help us to see our need in you and the love that you have given us through your son Jesus. Amen. So this past Friday night, I went to a concert. One of you uh, invited me a few weeks ago to go to a concert, and at the time of the invite, I had not known any of the music, really, of the artist I was going to see. So in order for me to prepare for this concert, I made a playlist of uh, various songs that he has done. And I actually got online and looked at uh, some of the set lists from previous concerts recently and made my playlist match the set list. And the reason I did this is because I wanted to prepare myself to be able to enjoy the concert. And I'm thankful that I did that. The time that I spent learning the songs allowed me to enjoy the concert so much more than if I'd gone in blindly not knowing any of the songs. Because of the weeks leading up to the concert, I spent listening and, and, and learning the songs. I was able to get excited with the crowd as the notes began to play of the upcoming song. I was able to sing along with some of the songs, and it was good preparation for me to truly enjoy the concert on Friday night. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because I want to talk today about a type of preparation and learning that we all need to be doing. And the goal is not just to go to a concert. The goal is our maturity in faith. During this season of Lent, we as a church are looking at the Christian virtues. We are looking at how maturity in faith comes about by living out virtues like patience or kindness, boldness, and so on. So what does this look like? in our day-to-day lives. For me to prepare for the concert, I spend some time and effort learning some songs. But for us to prepare for maturity and faith, we need to learn and practice virtues by spending time and effort considering the choices and the habits that we make in our lives. As one theologian puts it, virtue happens when wise and courageous choices have become second nature. Virtue is choices and habits that grow over time to hopefully become like second nature in our lives. We believe that these habits, these choices, these virtues will over time form, transform, and prepare us for who we are in Christ Jesus. Virtues are habits that lead us to become who we were made to be in Christ. That's what maturity and faith is all about. Virtues are not just keeping some rules or having good behavior. Virtues are not just about proving to others how high our moral standards are. Virtues are what we do by the power of God's Spirit because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so this morning we are going to look at the virtue of humility together. And I've chosen a passage from the book of Philippians for us to reflect upon. 
So I want to read for us now Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You can follow along in a Bible or in your order of worship, or you can just listen as I read. Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. So when I knew that I needed to preach on one of the virtues, I decided that I wanted to preach on humility. I really felt like I needed to preach on humility. Because I'm constantly amazed at how much I need to learn about this topic. I'm amazed how naive or, I would say, arrogant I have been about this topic in my life. Some of you know that I have always struggled with insecurity. I've struggled my whole life with not feeling good enough or able to do enough or smart enough and so on. And so I've always had a hard time with people that look like they have it all together. I've always had a hard time when people seem to come across like they know it all. Prideful people not only bother me, but they often help me feel not as bad about myself, because I think at least I don't struggle with pride like they do. (laughs) i got to tell you, if you don't already know, comparison like that simply fuels pride. So I needed this topic of humility, and maybe you can relate. Or maybe you can relate to my insecurity. Maybe, if you're honest, you feel like you don't really struggle with humility because you think so low about yourself right now. Well, authors and theologian C.S. Lewis describes humility this way. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True humility really is the disappearance of self. The tendency for us to be preoccupied with ourselves by beating ourselves up or comparing ourselves to others, or feeling that we are not enough, never will lead us to true humility. I've experienced this personally myself often. When our focus is on our faults and our inadequacies, it makes us fix our eyes upon ourselves and not upon God 
and others. And C.S. Lewis is convicting again when he writes, A heart inverted upon itself is sure to cultivate suffocating pride. Many of us, I believe, in this room are suffocating right now. We need to meditate on all that Scripture says about pride and humility. We need to ask God to help us put off our self-confidence or any hint of arrogance we might have. We must, as the Apostle Peter calls us to do in his letter, clothe ourselves with humility. Because the virtue of humility will help fight against the fear and the pride and the need for approval that so many of us in this room live for every day. So I want us to look at this passage in Philippians together and the need and the call to practice the virtue of humility. Paul, the author of this letter to the Philippian church, is writing it while he is in prison and he truly loves these women and men of this church. He begins his letter saying that he is filled with joy whenever he remembers them in his prayers. He ends his letter by calling them his joy and crown. And in our section today, Paul says he wants them to complete his joy. How? How can they, as a small community in Philippi, complete the joy of the Apostle Paul while he is sitting in prison? Well, joy will be completed by this community being united. His joy will be completed by them being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Paul's desires for this small community in Philippi to have a common pattern and thinking and acting together because of who they are in Christ Jesus. Paul wants them to show love towards one another, even in their differences, because of who they are in Christ. Paul's joy would be complete if they were united as a family in Christ. Guys, this is our desire as well as a church. We as a staff talk about this idea a lot. Our joy would be complete if we were living united together as a family. The leaders and the elders and the pastors of this church spend a lot of time talking about how we can grow in love in this community. How we can be more united together. How people can feel welcomed here among us. And I know many of you have that same desire as well. Many of you want covenant to be a place where you are known and loved and you can know and love others as a family. Many of you I know and we have heard personally many of the good, hard questions that you are asking. How do we really get to know each other at this church? How do we become a more inviting church? How do we view each other as brothers and sisters? How do we move beyond the surface relationships that we have to actually becoming a family together? I don't know how to answer all those questions. But I do believe cultivating the habit and the virtue of humility would be a good start and a good goal for all of us to have. All of us need to grow in our humility towards God and towards others around us. 
We need to begin by growing our humility before God. Before we can even look at how to live humbly around other people, we need to put ourselves in the right position when it comes to who we are before God. Before Paul calls any of the people in Philippi to unity and harmony and humility in this passage, he reminds them of what they have from God. Our first verse, Paul says, If any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul is speaking of the supernatural, objective realities that have already occurred in this community because of God. Because God moved into their lives, true encouragement, true comfort, true affecting sympathy are found in God and God alone. And so with all that God had done in the lives of this small church in Philippi, they should be humble. With everything that God has done in our lives, we too should be humble. Humility is the inner disposition of receiving grace. It is the posture of a soul actively receiving from God all that we need. Humility is the polar opposite of pride, which is self-reliant, self-righteous, and self-exalting. I mean, just think about the gospel reading that we heard this morning. Two men went into the temple, one boldly lifting up his head and reflecting about how much better he is than others. And one man couldn't even look up when he said these words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've been reading this week in preparation for this sermon, a book, Humility, the Beauty of Holiness by Andrew Murray. And I love what he says about this story in the temple in Luke 18. Murray says, pride can lift its head in the very temple of God and make its worship the scene of self-exaltation. And then Murray continues and he says, Humility is the bloom and the beauty of holiness. The chief mark of counterfeit holiness is a lack of humility. The way we know our holiness is fake and hypocritical and cheap is our lack of humility that we display. How often are we like the man in the temple looking and judging others to get our worth? How often do we look for ways to evaluate ourselves by the never-ending cycle of comparison? And this either leads to deep pride or deep self-loathing. And many of us are struggling with both of these. When we come to God and we realize and acknowledge that nothing we have isn't from him, that everything is from him, it should humble us and give us confidence at the same time. How do we grow in humility and confidence at the same time? Well, I've spent some time this week reflecting on two questions that the Apostle Paul asks the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 4-7, he asks these two questions of that congregation. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Paul asked that congregation, what do you have that you have not received from God? 
And if you have received this from God, why do you boast like you haven't? Do you understand what Paul is saying here? I like how Eugene Peterson's translation of the message puts it. Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all that you need. What is the point of comparing and competing? We have everything we need. Some of us don't believe that. Some of us look around and we see what we think others have that we don't have, and we question, has God given us enough? Some of us spend so much of our time comparing ourselves to others that we might not look it on the outside, but we are crushed on the inside. And some of us have the opposite problem. Some of us act like we have it all together. We don't really believe that we need anything from God. We're good enough on our own. Well, whether you might struggle with self-loathing or pride, all of us, all of us need to come to God humbly trusting that everything we have and everything we are is a gift from God. We must believe this. We must see all the good things that God has given us. We must believe that God continually provides everything we need. You cannot turn anywhere in Scripture and not find evidence of God moving in our lives and in this world. Just our passage today, we hear what God gives us. Encouragement in Christ. Comfort from His love. His Holy Spirit. And affection and sympathy from God Himself. These are the truths we must believe and we must remind ourselves when the self-loathing creeps in. These are the truths we must believe and remind ourselves when the pride creeps in as well. And the more we humble ourselves before God, the more we believe all that he has given us, the more we can truly in turn be humble with one another. Paul is clear that we are to respond to one another in humility. Verses 3 and 4 in our account should be memorized by us all. Verses 3 and 4 should be on our minds often. Verses 3 and 4 give us concrete, practical examples of how to grow the virtue of humility in our lives. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't attempt to gain the upper hand with others. How often do we climb the ladder of self-ambition in order to make ourselves feel better at the expense of others? This could be in how we talk or joke about people behind their back. Or this could be just in our mind where no one sees it. When we critique or tear down other people to make ourselves feel good. We're called in this passage to do nothing out of conceit. Literally, we're called to not do anything out of empty glory. Meaning, doing things just to get the credit. Just to get the recognition. Just to get the glory. 
This is the very opposite of what our Savior Jesus did. That Paul says in verse 7, he emptied of himself of all his glory for us. He emptied himself of all his rights he had as the Son of God to come for us. And we are called to follow our Savior in considering others more significant than ourselves. And how do we do this? What does this practically look like in our lives? Well, maybe it starts by just listening more to one another. Maybe we need to slow down and be present with others. Maybe we need to realize that the way we treat others, it comes across like they're not important, that they're not valuable enough for us to slow down and be with. So many of you are way better at this than I am. Many of you are amazing listeners. I mean, when you ask me questions, it's like you actually care to know my answer. (laughs) I have a lot to learn from you. And it is so easy to be busy. To be busy even for important and worthwhile things. But in our busyness, people don't feel like we care. In our busyness, people don't feel like we're significant because we pass by them and don't have time for them. We are called to look out for the interests of others in verse 4, and we are so self-consumed and busy, we don't even see their needs, let alone stop to help them. We need to be humble and admit this to our God. We need to be humble and ask God to help us grow away from just looking at self and looking to others. And we need to ask others in our lives to challenge us to not be this way. To help us see how self-centered we are. You know, one of the things that was the most convicting for me when I was preparing for this sermon was a, a statement made by Fred Craddock in his commentary on Philippians. Listen to what he says. Paul regarded as inappropriate to the body of Christ the selfish eye, the pompous mind, the ear hungry for compliments, and the mouth that spoke none, the heart that had little room for others, and the hand that only served self. The eye, the mind, the ear, the mouth, the heart, the hand can all be used very destructively. The eye that looks at envy at other people affects how we treat them. The mind spinning with comparisons of being worse or better than others deeply hurts this community. The ears wanting to be told how good we are and the mouth silent from complimenting others because a jealousy makes us self-centered and self-focused. And the heart and the hand so protected and closed off from others hurts the needs of others more than we even realize. So what do we do? How do we take a step forward in growing in humility? Paul has given us some strong words to be challenged with. Paul has given a call to humility to this congregation. And where does he go with that call? How does he motivate his listeners to respond to this call. 
he gives them an amazing hymn and song about Jesus. Paul challenges us for sure in how we should treat others. But then he also gives us the amazing depths of Jesus' mercy and grace and humble service for us. Paul calls us to look at ourselves and see the ways we are so self-centered and self-focused, but he doesn't stop there. Instead, he immediately directs our gaze away from ourselves to our Savior. He points to Jesus. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do we grow in humility? How do we grow in looking out for the needs of others more than our own needs? We look to Jesus. We look to the life and the death and the resurrection of our Savior. We look to the truth that Jesus made himself nothing for you and for me. We could spend hours discussing verses 6 through 11. We could easily meditate on this amazing, beautiful picture of the incarnation that Paul gives us here in these verses. I would strongly urge you to read this section over and over again this week. Meditate on verses 6 through 11. Thank God for verses 6 through 11. Feast on this beautiful picture of Jesus. And that, all I want to say today is this. We need to feast on the truth that Christ emptied himself of everything for you. You need to feast on the truth that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for you. Brothers and sisters, you need to feast on who is Jesus and what he did for you. Because the more we feast on Jesus, the more we will fast from ourselves. Our only hope, our only power we have is feasting on Jesus and what he has done. And that and that alone is the way we can grow in the virtue of humility. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the work of your son, Jesus, that was willing to come into this world that was broken and in need of a savior and accomplish everything we need for salvation. And Father, we still live in a broken, fallen world. We mourn the loss of life in another senseless killing this week. Lord, protect the family members that are mourning right now, that are fearful to even go into places of worship because of what happened in New Zealand. Father, Heal the brokenness and the wounds of that country and of this world that is full of pain and senseless death over and over again. Lord Jesus, come quickly and make things right. But until you do, may we rest in you and you alone for our hope and for our salvation. In your name, amen.